So the last time that I recorded, we looked at uh, what kind of value can be attached to each and every human life. And we did that by examining the words of Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And we saw there that there were four distinct types of value that were conferred or, or inferred on humanity by the image of God and the words of those verses. And that those four types of value for every human being were intrinsic value, equal value, exceptional value, and eternal value. Now, if there's any part of any of those four words that it doesn't necessarily uh, present itself as clear what I mean, what we mean at Passion Life by those types of value, I urge you to go back and look at the previous video for the definitions. I won't get into that in this particular uh, recording. But we looked at the fact that all human beings have those types of value based on that passage of Scripture. And today we're going to go a step further. Today we're going to take that same idea, that same line of reasoning, and we're going to ask ourselves now, what are the implications of human beings, human life, having these types of value because we are created in the image of God? Or in the, the words of Francis Schaeffer, how should we then live? What does it mean? How does it impact the way we treat each other? How does it impact our relationship with God? Now, before I get into revealing what those implications are, discussing what some of those implications are, let me at this point make it perfectly clear that up to this point in our, in our logical kind of peeling of the logical onion of what it means to be human, we have not yet defined who qualifies as human. We're going to save that for uh, a later recording. It's actually coming right up on the heels of this one. But up to this point, we have not really given a, a specific qualification of who exactly it is that qualifies as human. But here's what I want to, to point out before we get into these implications. We can agree that whoever does qualify as human has value and that the following in the rest of this recording are implications that exists for each and every person in that set. Whoever is in humanity, these things apply to everyone in that set. First, everyone is, who is a human, this will sound familiar, is endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. All humans have natural rights or God-given rights. We call, these, um, we call these inherent human rights. Every human has inherent dignity. Every human being has inherent worth. Um, every human being is worthy of protections simply because the right to life is the one right that all humans have on which all other rights are predicated. It secures the rights of liberty and pursuit of happiness and all other rights. The right to life is chief among human rights. Secondly, we as members of the human race bear a moral responsibility to defend the rights of humanity. 
So we can acknowledge that the rights of the needy, the poor, the afflicted, the destitute, the vulnerable, these are going to be the first people within the subset of all creatures called human. They're going to have their rights denied or going to have their rights uh, 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 overlooked simply because they can't defend themselves. And that's why the Proverbs tell us this. This is what we're going to read in um, Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. It says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So if the poor are human, then we defend the poor. Because as soon as human rights are cast by the wayside for one subset of humans, then greedy, perverse, selfish people are going to rise up and they're going to look to extend that denial of rights to some other group and so on and so forth. It's a slippery slope. And so we have a moral obligation as humans to defend human rights, especially where those rights are most likely to be marginalized. Now, you do not have to be a religious person to agree with that. This is not inherent to the Bible that as humans, we need to defend human rights. It is, it is a sociologically responsible viewpoint for all humans to have, that if we value our humanity and our human rights, then we, as a group of people, are obligated to morally defend those rights for other human beings. Now, third, we can see a moral alignment between loving God and loving others. Now, where I am today, it's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Martin Luther King being, of course, the famous civil rights defender and herald of, of, of civil rights. And in 1965, Martin Luther King gave a speech, and this is a quote from that speech. The whole concept of the Imago Dei, as it is, is expressed in Latin, the image of God, is the idea that all men have something within them that God injected. Not that they have substantial unity with God, but that every man has a capacity to have fellowship with God. And this gives him a uniqueness. It gives him worth. It gives him dignity. Now listen to this, and we must never forget this as a nation. There are no gradations gradations in the image of God. Every man from a treble white to a base black is significant on God's keyboard precisely because every man is made in the image of God. So we see here Martin Luther King is making it clear that we have the capacity to have fellowship with God. The Imago Dei creates fellowship with God in a unique way that's not available to other plants and animals within the created order. And it gives us fellowship one with another as human beings for the same reason. It ties the way we treat each other to our treatment of God himself, because if we mistreat our fellow man, then we have injured or, or uh, insulted the God who made that man in his own image. That's why we read again in Proverbs, this time in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 31, we read, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, capital M, 
but he who is generous to the needy honors him, the maker of men. So the way we treat each other has implications on our relationship with God himself. And lastly, the value placed on each human by the imago Dei, the, that intrinsic value, that, uh, that equal value, that exceptional value, that eternal value that we discussed in the last recording, that value is the motivating and animating principle for all works of justice and mercy. Anything that we do to help the poor, the needy, the afflicted, the blind, the addicted, the imprisoned, the enslaved, the mentally unsound, the undereducated, for all those within these marginalized or needy communities, the motivating factor for serving them is the fact that we are all the same and that we are created in the image of God. So the image of God separates human beings from all the rest of God's created order, and it has far-reaching implications for how humans relate to God and how humans uh, will relate one to another because God is our common creator. This is what Passion Life exists to proclaim and herald around the earth. From these basic principles, we go on to draw uh, significant moral conclusions about how we treat human life in all of its forms, including the preborn. We'll go on in this series to make argument for why the preborn qualify as human and why, as they qualify as human, they qualify for all of these human rights. But for now, be it known, this is what we do at, at, at Passion Life, and we beckon you in to join us in the ministry that we are on. We're traveling all over the world, making sure that, especially Chris, starting with Christians, that the population in any given place where abortion rates are very high, along with gender side rates and infanticide rates, that population is educated to understand the, the uh, sociological, philosophical, moral reasonings, and yes, of course, the theological and biblical reasons why we defend human life. So join us by signing up for the Passion Life newsletter. You can find us at passionlife.org.